We're going to continue um, the series that we've been in talking about uh, the life of David. And um, so Sarah said, hey, it's your turn to speak. Um, you know, you, you can have freedom. Talk about this. Talk about that. And I said, well, here's what I'm thinking. And she's like, well, you can't go that far. You can't rush ahead that far. And I was like, well, you said I could do whatever I want to. So if I jump ahead a little bit. And then next week we jump back and we jump around a little bit. That's okay, right? Um, I just want to um, ask the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would um, minister to us today. So Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you that what you do in us and through us and with us is so profound. Lord, we're reminded today that um, it's the things that we don't see are greater than the things that we see. And Lord, we ask today as we um, spend more time with you and spend more time looking at um, people of faith and followers of you, that we will have a greater revelation of who you are. We have a greater passion and a heart for who you are for us. And Lord, would you just continue to um, make us people like David who have hearts after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking about that phrase. Um, David's described in multiple places in scripture as a man after God's own heart. And I love um, Paul talks about David being that way. Um, Samuel talks about David being that way, a man after God's own heart. And so I want to look at three pieces this morning, three, three aspects of this story. I want to look at a little bit of the story of Saul and a little bit of the story uh, of David and tie that in hopefully to our stories today. Um, so as, as we know, and we've been setting the history here, um, the books of first Samuel it's first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles tell stories about the Kings of Israel. And they tell lots and lots of stories. And this is a big part of the Old Testament is telling these stories of kings. And so the first king, the first story that's told is about the first king in Israel, Saul. And, um, you know, Sarah talked about Samuel and Samuel being a prophet and the Lord dealing with his people through the prophet Samuel. And then, then the people just complaining, like, we want to be like everyone else. We want a king. We want to be like everyone else. We want a king. And that wasn't God's idea. And Samuel tells people, and I want to start here, just at this part before Saul becomes king. Samuel tells the people of Israel, if you want a king, here's what it's going to look like. So the first passage here is 1 Samuel 8, verse 9. And Samuel says this, now listen, uh, the, the Lord is talking to Samuel, says, now listen to them, the people crying out for a king, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Let's see. 
Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all, all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting to um, hear the, the gravity of what, what people were asking for. And he said, if this is what you're asking for, this is what, what it will mean. Oftentimes, I think we can ask for something and we're like, if just this could happen, but everything else could remain unchanged, that would be great, right? Like if only this one circumstance could change, then everything will be fine. And, and they're like, well, if we could just get a king, then that would be great. And Samuel's like, okay, if you want a king, then everything's going to change. Everything's going to be different. This is going to take more of you than you could ever imagine. This is going to ask more of you than you could ever imagine. But the Lord gives them Saul. Why is it? It's, and we see this, and, and this is why it's so important to look at human history. We, we comment so often when you read the scriptures and you go, man, nothing's changed. In thousands and thousands of years, it's like nothing's changed. We still want kings today. We still want to shift this process of provision and protection and responsibility. We want to shift it away from God and we want an intermediary. We want it to come from someone else. Give me a king. We want to be like everyone else. So Saul comes and, and the Lord, the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then it's amazing how then the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. And then, and then it's like, how can the Lord then work within that new framework? He's accommodating this request. And then it's like, okay, how's the Lord going to work in this environment? So they find Saul, they appoint Saul as king. And, and you, you then see at that point after Saul, you see Saul and you see David and you see Solomon and you see the next Kings. And if you read in the scriptures, there's this repetition over and over again. And this king ruled for X amount of years. Um, their parents were so-and-so, and then they died. And this king was good, and this king was bad. And this king did good in the sight of the Lord, and this, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you see this roller coaster. If you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you see this roller coaster of the nation going back and forth based upon whether the king followed the Lord or not. Do we live in an up and down life based on who is king? I don't mean just politically. I mean, who we follow, who we look to, who do we esteem? 
Do we, do we put a bunch of intermediaries in place of our relationship with the Lord? And then we're like, when those intermediaries don't work out, when the Kings in our lives don't work out, what happens then? What happens next? I love that. That the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, he came to establish in our hearts. He came to lead us by his Holy Spirit. He came to give us a new way of living. Sarah's talk last week about this idea of this story of David is how someone dealt with God. How do people deal with God? How do we wrestle with God? Are we dealing with God? Are we wrestling with God directly? Or are we looking for kings to do our wrestling for us? Okay, King, you go do the wrestling for us and then bring it back to us. The Lord's heart is to deal with us directly, isn't it? His leaders, Paul talks about leaders that the Lord's given for his church are called to be servants and called to be equipping. Called to be equipping each one of us for the works of ministry. Equipping us for loving well. Equipping us for serving our world. We're called to be equipping, not to called to be kings. So as I was looking at Saul, so let's look a little bit. And I just want to pull out. So, you know, Saul was king for 40 years. And about 25 years in, God's like, damn, this is not working. Saul, you're not you're not leading the way that I want you to lead. And he anoints David to be the next King. And so you see in, in the books of first and second Samuel, you see the rise of Saul's kingdom. And then you see things that, that Saul's doing that are not what the Lord wants. And then you see the rising of David's kingdom next. And so that's why these two things are so closely coupled. In fact, David's first job was to, to be a musician and care for King Saul. He plays an instrument and ministers before the Lord, before Saul, because Saul is tormented. And David is there to care for Saul. So Saul rules for 40 years. And he's a guy who meets all these external qualifications. He's tall, which I think always as a short person, it's always like, yep, that's a qualifier. I always look, I'm like, man, tall people, they just, they just walk in the room. Mark walks in the room. He's like, oh, there he is. He's tall. Steve walks in. Oh, they're, they're just tall. David wasn't tall. They said the word in one of the translations about David is that it was ruddy. So I like, to, I like to just add that to the end of my name, ruddy. I want to be like David. I want to be ruddy. But when I read the story of Saul, I feel like I feel convicted. I feel a lot more like Saul than I do at times like David. David is described as this man after God's own heart. And I look at the life of Saul and I go, yeah. And I look at the life of David and I'm like, yeah, I want to be that man after God's own heart. But I feel like when I read Saul, I'm like, I feel a little bit more like this guy than I do like David. So one of the things we find out early on about Saul in his challenge of navigating being king is understanding his relationship with the Lord. And there's two instances that happen with Saul that illustrate this. One in 1 Samuel 13, and the second one happens in 1 Samuel 15. So in 1 Samuel 13, 13, um, I'll set the context just a, a minute before I read the scripture. But um, 
Saul is, is uh, going to go out to battle and he's got his army and Samuel, the prophet said, Hey, wait, don't go out until I come and I can do sacrifices. And um, Saul's waiting and waiting and waiting and Samuel doesn't come in time. And so Saul's like, okay, I'm going to preempt this. Saul's like, I'm going to preempt this because the people are scattering. My, my army's scattering. The Philistines are, are over here. Samuel's delayed in coming. I don't know what's going through Saul's mind. When I read this, I'm thinking Saul's afraid. Things aren't going the way that he wants them to. People are scattering. And he's like, he's like, what am I going to do? And you see in Saul, him coming up. I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to force, I'm going to force the Lord's hand in this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the sacrifices. And then he starts doing these sacrifices that Samuel said, no, wait for me to come and I'll do them. But he preempts, he preempts because I don't know why, because he's afraid because he's not looking like a king. It's not going the way that he wants it to. So this is where we pick up and Samuel shows up and says this to, to Saul, you've done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you have not kept the command. The Lord, your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And all of a sudden we start seeing this in, in Saul we start seeing in Saul this dependence upon outside voices telling him what to do. We don't see Saul's heart in the sense of, man, Lord, I'm hearing what Samuel's saying. I'm hearing your heart. I want to trust you with my heart. You see Saul starting to respond from the things outside of him. You start seeing Saul responding to fear. You start seeing Saul responding to, man, I'm not as popular as I need to be. People are leaving. This isn't going how I thought. You see Saul starting to solve this on his own. The second thing happens in 1 Samuel 15, the second story. Saul and his army is called out to go to another battle. And, they, and they're going to go out and they go out and they have great success. And the Lord had given really clear instructions. This is what you're supposed to do. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it exactly the way the Lord asked. He kind of did it somewhat of the way the Lord asked. And then he kind of took it upon himself to do it a little bit of a different way. So Samuel comes to him after this battle and says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And the word, the Lord said, I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So we see the same thing happen in first Samuel 13. He's like, he's not followed my instructions. We see it in first Samuel 15. He's not followed my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And this was hard. So the next morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. <laughs> I, I, after rereading this story this time, that one jumped out at me like never before. It was like, not only did Saul not follow the instructions that the Lord had, he decided after his successful campaign, after this successful military adventure, that they should, he should set up a monument to himself. So S Samuel comes to him and is like, this is not, 
This is not good. And Saul starts arguing back. He's like, yeah, but I was successful and we got all of this loot and, and we're going to take, and, and he starts changing the Lord's instructions and saying, well, instead of doing it this way, I'm going to take this and now I'm going to give that to the Lord. So a little bit, Sarah told a story uh, last week or the week before about how um, she threw a, a, a bridal shower for a friend who just wanted pizza on paper plates. And Sarah was like, that's great. I hear you, but I'm going to do a nice China meal for you on nice China. And we're going to do all this kind of stuff. And at the end, the, the woman was blessed, but she was like, you know, I just wanted pepperoni pizza on paper plates. And I feel like that's what Saul's saying. Saul's saying, yeah, I, I heard you, Lord, but this is, look at what I've done. This is amazing. Look at what I've accomplished. I even built a monument to myself. So then Samuel replies this to Saul in verse 22. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the Lord of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Man, strong, strong language here. I told you I feel like Saul when I read these things. Saul sought to use power, his power, for what he thought God wanted and for what seemed reasonable to him, what seemed reasonable to Saul, but it wasn't what God wanted. You know, we read this word obedience and we think about how strong that word is. And, and we, we think of this, um, I don't know, employer-employee relationship or um, master-slave relationship of like, well, this is how the Lord is. The Lord just wants obedience. The Lord wants obedience. And as we look at the life of David, the one thing I've seen in David is this I think obedience is saying, I'm going to wrestle with God. I'm going to deal with God. I'm going to wrestle this out with the Lord. And Lord, I'm, I want to hear and I want to obey because I know you and I love you. It's not because the Lord was interested in carrying it out. The Lord wanted Saul to value and to obey and to have relationship with him. The Lord wanted Saul to obey him. Obey him because he wanted to trust him. He wanted to entrust him and walk with him. And he's like, I can't trust you, Saul. I can't trust you to, to care and shepherd my people if you, if you aren't loving my voice. In these seasons of Saul's life, he experienced temptation. He had temptation that was that was panic or fear. Like, what am I going to do? And in that, he turns to his own resources. And then in the second story, he has this great success. And it's like, well, if the Lord would just make me successful, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll really um, demonstrate how great the Lord is. And he turns and he takes credit. And then he decides he'll tip God. It's like, well, I'll build a monitor to myself and then we'll tip God and this will be great. 
And he's trying to dictate to God what would bring God joy. Saul externally adopted a posture of following the Lord. And then when things got tough, he turned to his own ways. When he had incredible success, he turned to his own ways. When he had fear and panic and things were falling apart, he turned to his own ways. And you kept seeing Samuel have to act as this intermediary. Samuel had to keep coming back and telling him, you're going the wrong way. Saul's heart was after his own version of what it meant to follow God. Saul didn't internalize the choosing of the Lord. He didn't see that God was choosing him to walk with. The Lord is, Saul, the Lord is choosing you to walk with, to partner with, to carry your, to carry his heart. Saul treated God as this external force to be appeased, an external force to help him. This quote talks about, I think, one of the challenges in leadership. Um, it's from Rich Velotis. He says this, the level of power we hold, wait till that gets up on the screen. The level of power we hold must be commensurate with the level of inner work we've done and are doing. Otherwise, we destroy people and ourselves. This is why there's so many tragedies of leadership in our world. There's little congruence between our inner lives and our outer lives. I think you see that in the life of Saul. You see this challenge of him being a leader and him having this great responsibility. And yet the Lord's like, where is your heart? after me? Where are you doing the inner work? Where are we doing the inner work? In Matthew 7, it reminded me of these words that Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. You see Saul in there? You see Saul in there saying, Lord, Lord, but he's not, he's not internalizing. He's not walking in a way that he's positioning himself to walk in the will of the Lord. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This idea of no, that word no there, it's like an intimate no. It's like a relational knowing, knowing the Lord, knowing the Lord. Eugene Peterson says this about Saul. He says, Saul was treating God as a means, as a resource, and God will not be used. We have this, this, um, such a, a strong temptation in our time to, to somehow use God for our own purposes. The title of my message today is God the Builder. And we're going to talk here in a minute about what it means that God is the builder. That's why he said to Saul, hey, I'm, I can't work with you. He's like, I'm building something and you're not working with me. The Lord was like, okay, you wanted kings. I'm going to give you kings, but I'm still going to build. God is like, I am still going to build. And he's like, I, I just want you to build with me. And Saul wasn't building. Henry Nouwen says this, the temptation to consider power an apt instrument for the proclamation of the gospel is the greatest temptation of all. I'm gonna think about that for a second. 
that somehow when we have this place of power, that then the gospel can really hit. So let's talk about David. So there's this, this understanding. The Lord's like, man, I want, I'm looking for a king with a heart after me to shepherd my people. David, a man after God's own heart. So Samuel anoints David. And David uh, doesn't even become king for another 15 years. Isn't that amazing, the Lord's patience? I don't, I don't even get that. I feel like... When I make a decision, I'm like, I hope my decision gets implemented within a couple of weeks or a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how many of you are like, well, I'm going to make a decision now. And I'm hopefully in 15 years, uh, it's, it's implemented. Isn't, I, I don't know, man, the Lord's ways are not my ways. How about you? Like, why does the Lord do this? Why does the Lord wait It's interesting. David ends up, he kills Goliath. He ends up then serving Saul. Man, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? What a heart. And, and Saul was not in a good place. Uh, he's playing the guitar and ministering to Saul. And Saul's like, I think I'm going to try to kill you right now. Like, I don't know. Is that a hostile work environment, Kevin? Like, where's our HR people? Is that a hostile work environment? I think it is. Like, what, what is going on? Eugene Peterson says this about David. He says this, the single most characteristic thing about David is God. David believed in God, thought about God, imagined God, addressed God, prayed to God. The largest part of David's existence wasn't David, but God. And when you read the story of David, you, you know, there's so much in the Old Testament about his life. And then half the Psalms he wrote and they're, they're like dark and light and exciting poetry and dark poetry and all this kind of stuff. But we see David and he is just passionate about the Lord. In every change of circumstance, you see David orienting himself to the, his relationship with God in success, in persecution, in fear, in disorientation, when the bottom falls out, when they're chanting his name, when the promise seems a long way off, when it seems to be there's no way, he just keeps turning. His heart is after the Lord. He just keeps turning. He keeps turning. David's a picture of someone who had a heart after God in the beginning, in the messy middle, as they say, and after the fulfillment to the end. When you read the story of David, you just see this man after God's own heart. It made me think about the passage in John 6, where Jesus is being questioned about what are the works that God requires. So he says, Jesus is responding to this question. They asked him, what we, must we do to do the work God requires? Consider Saul asking that question, David asking that question, us asking that question. And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And I want to leave that up for a second. Like we see that word believe and we think about like this intellectual ascent of belief. Um, 
you know, if you really believe in Santa Claus, then you, you think when you get up in the morning, the chips and the, or the, the, the cookies and the milk are going to be gone, right? If you really believe, belief impacts our actions. It impacts our life. Belief means something. Belief has an impact. And, and you see, I think you see in Saul, you see in the life of David, you see, what does it mean to believe? What did it look like for David to believe? He believed God in his day-to-day shepherd duties. He believed God as he faced Goliath. He believed God as he had the worst job ever, ministering to Saul. He believed God as he ran for his life in the wilderness. He believed God when Saul was trying to kill him. He believed God when he was betrayed. He believed God when he sinned gravely. David's belief remind me about the experience of the disciples with Jesus. Jesus was teaching them about being the bread of life. I was thinking about that. We were singing the song, uh, speaking the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. And I was thinking about um, one aspect of speaking the name of Jesus is speaking it. It's declaring it. Another aspect of speaking the name of Jesus is believing Jesus and Jesus's name being spoken as you work your job. Jesus's name is being spoken when we fail. Jesus's name is being spoken when we succeed. Jesus's name is being spoken when we're caring for an elderly parent. Jesus's name is being spoken in every area and aspect of our lives. I love that about David's life is you just see the name of God being spoken as David lives his life. David's belief translated into relationship, into following, trusting, obeying, into a depth that transcended the good and the horrible times. Through thick and thin, David's heart was after the Lord. It, if you look uh, in First and Second Samuel, uh, I was just looking about this phrase because you'll see it. David inquired of the Lord. You go Google that phrase, David inquired of the Lord. It says that that's repeated nine times in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. Saul never inquired of the Lord. Samuel had to come and be like, Saul, da-da-da-da-da, Saul, da-da-da-da-da. And then he's like, yeah, I still kind of am going to do it my way. And David's heart was completely the opposite. He's like, Lord, what do I do here? What do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? The Lord loves that. A heart after the Lord is a heart of inquiring. Inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. Wrestle with the Lord. Deal with the Lord. When Jesus talks about this work of belief, I wonder if he thinks about this. The work of God is this. He says to believe in the one he sent. It's a whole life belief. It's a belief that, it's, that, that is, is, is a complete game changer. It's a belief that the Lord is faithful in all things. It's a belief that God is bigger than our problems. It's a belief that God is with us in the pit. It's the belief that he understands we have a purpose in our work and in what God has called us to. It's a belief that we're part of his work on earth. I love that in David being a man after God's own heart, God's like, okay, then let's Let's get going. Let's do some good stuff. 
Let's bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into the city. Let's have worship. Let's, let's have justice. Let's establish things. It is belief that brings us to forgive and to love our enemies. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the fullness of what God represents for the world and how Jesus is calling us to show up in the world. Belief in Jesus is not a life insurance policy. It's not. It's a relationship. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 24. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I think belief looks like losing our life. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And it's not what they've earned. It's, it's them walking in, in belief, their belief and their partnership, them walking as a heart like David. Belief is being all in with Jesus. But it doesn't mean we don't wrestle. It doesn't mean we don't doubt. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't have questions. I mean, think about all the questions the disciples had. And Jesus is all of a sudden like, oh, man, you have little faith. Oh, man, that's not of my kingdom. Oh, Peter, Satan, you know, he's like, that Satan, get behind me. I don't know. Have you ever Jesus say that to you when you say something? It just means that our hearts are after Jesus. It's directional. It's directional. The Lord is looking for directional. Saul's heart was never after the Lord. The Lord was an add-on for Saul. The work of David was a lifetime of believing God. So I want to end with this. And I'm going to jump ahead in this chronology um, to second Samuel. And I want to read this because we've, we've heard a little bit about Saul. We've heard David come on the scene a little bit. We've heard this. So David becomes King and there's this, there's all sorts of processes, all sorts of battles that happen. Um, he's got to establish a King, uh, you know, where's, where's his capital city going to be all this kind of stuff. And so we see this, this resolution in second uh, Samuel seven. Um, if we could put that up on the screen. So 2 Samuel 7, 1, it says, after the king was settled, this is David, settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. So let's pause there just for a second. So you have this, um, the transition has happened. Saul is no longer king. David is king. David's been established. There's rest. David has arrived. And, and David, in his arrival, makes this statement. I'm living in this house of cedar, and I have peace. And, but the ark of God remains in a tent. And, and Nathan replies to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. Like, yeah, go for it, David. Um, do, what, do what's in your heart. So next verse. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, uh, 
go and tell my servant, David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not, dwe- have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And I'm just going to pause there because we'll look at what he says in a minute. But the Lord's like, wait a second, what? You want to build me something? So he says this, I took you, David, from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares this to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. This is like a profound, profound passage. All of this 2 Samuel 7. Um, The Old Testament theologian, Walter Brueggemann, talks about this particular passage being um, one of the most crucial texts in the Old Testament for our faith. It's it's an incredible text. It's like the ways of God are completely upside down. Wait, God's building a house, not us building a house for God. Our natural mind thinks differently, right? Our natural mind thinks differently. David's like, uh, you can almost hear the arrogance in David. You can hear the arrogance like, I've arrived. This has worked out. All right, now, God, I'm going to take care of you. And God's like, no, 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 no. This never works that way. This, this doesn't work that way. As God built the house of David, God built the house of David. David wasn't building the house of God. As God built the house of David, the reputation of the Lord became larger and larger as David did the work God had for him. Had David done the work of God, he would have been looking to grow his own reputation. Look what I did for God. When we start building, when we start thinking we can, in our own success, capture God and put God in a box and put God in a building and make God this we immediately get it wrong. This is the temptation that in our success, we believe we are serving God and positioning God for greatness. (laughs) The opposite's true. The Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord will build. Eugene Peterson says this about this passage, but there are times when our grand human plans to do something for God are seen after a night of prayer to be a huge human distraction from what God is doing for us. That's what Nathan realized that night. God showed Nathan that David's building plans for God would interfere with God's building plans for David. 
We confuse the order of things, don't we? And it's not because God wanted to make, uh, it's not because everything should be about me. We live in a very self-centered culture. We live in a very self-censored culture. But the Lord is trying to get his sovereignty right. He's trying to, to say, David, never confuse this. Never confuse that I'm the builder. Never confuse what I want to do. And I'm thinking about the work of Jesus in our lives. What is it that we bring to the table? What is it that we bring to the table? How do we somehow make God great? How do we some somehow do this like Dave is describing? We don't. The Lord comes and he says, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who's authored that. He's the one who gave Jesus. He's the one who's building our lives. He's the one who's working in us. It's this upside down kingdom. And we, I think at times want to make it about our power and what we can do. And if like, if we can build something great, then people will understand who God is. And David never forgot David's. So what, what happens in second Samuel seven, verse 18. So after Samuel says this to David, and I'm just about done here. David does this. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. So just want to sit there. Eugene Peterson dwells on this word sat before the Lord. But think about that. In this place, David's been successful. He's conquered. He's brought peace. He's done all these different things. He's like, okay, the Lord, now, Lord, I'm going to do something for you. And he hears the word of the Lord. And all of a sudden his posture changes completely. And he comes and he sits before the Lord. I feel like it's that same rest that Ray Lynn spoke about in our time of communion. David comes and sits before the Lord. And then he says, who am I sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree sovereign Lord is for a mere human. And all of a sudden, David's posture changes. He's like, I, no, Lord, I sit before you. I sit before you. My encouragement today, my challenge for me today is, what does it mean to have a heart after the Lord? What does it mean that God I think God is declaring and he's saying, he said in the life of Jesus, he's going to be building us. He's building like, like he said to David, no, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build in you. The Lord is going to build in me. The Lord is going to build in you. And he wants us to rest in that. He wants us to come and sit. He wants us to come and position our hearts in a directional, in a direction towards him. Where it's like, Lord, my heart is after you in weakness and in strength. It sounds like wedding vows all of a sudden. Um, my heart is after you, Lord. My heart is after you and I'm going to rest in you. 
The Lord is building. The Lord is building you. The Lord is building your house. The Lord is building your life. The Lord is building you. He wants us to come and he wants us to sit and worship. And then he's going to invite us into his work. He's going to invite us. He invited David into all sorts of great work. Jesus invited the disciples into all sorts of great work. But one of the things, they had this Saul David moment where Jesus says, well, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And some of them are like, man, that's, no, I'm not interested in that. That's, that's too relational. That's too close. That's too much of a heart after you. We, we like you, the miracles though. That's good. That's good stuff. We want to be powerful. That's good stuff. And Jesus says, no, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm the bread of life. Have a heart after me. And in that place, we have so much rest. We have so much joy. The Lord, and then, then you start hearing David, all of the metaphors. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my foundation. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord is the wings under which I hide. The Lord is my refuge. All of these different things. The Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is. And the Lord is building you. The Lord is building us. That's how we feel about this church community. Just thinking about that. And the Lord has for us to be David's in this place. Hearts after him. And he builds. He can do so much from that place. Amen. So the last scripture I'm going to end with, and we're going to be done. Psalm 18 in the message. God made, David's pouring this out. And he says this, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day, I review the ways he works. Next slide, please. Every day, I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. So I just want to leave that up on the screen. I love that David's declaring this. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened up the book of my heart to his eyes. Lord, we just come to you today and we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. That you do the work. And our work is to believe. Our work is to believe. Lord, in places where my heart is like Saul's, where I'm trying to, I'm tempted to respond to fear. I'm tempted to respond to success. I'm tempted to respond to all the wrong things. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to have a heart after you. I want to have a heart like David. Lord, that trusts you in all circumstances, even the hard ones, that wrestles with you that deals with you, Lord, and that loves you so much that we want to we wanna do the things that you've called us to do. We want to lay down our lives. We want to take up our crosses and follow you. You're the builder, Lord. We just declare that over our lives today, Lord. You're the builder of my life. You're the author and perfecter and finisher of my faith. Lord, we declare this over this church, Lord. You're our builder.
You're our builder. You're the author and perfecter of our community. Lord, would you build in us? Lord, I bless each person in this place today. Lord, would you be so close? Would you come so close? And Lord, let us, let us sit. Let us take those times of rest and sit and see what a great God you are, what a sovereign God you are, what a building God you are, and that you are building. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there's anything that you'd like prayer for this morning, we're going to have a prayer team at the table over here. If you're online, um, you can email us in any prayer requests and we'll, we'll pray with you. Um, but have a great week. God bless.